everyone. I'm Neha Gandhi, the CEO of Girlboss, and your host for this bonus episode of Girlboss Radio. That's right. Thanks to our friends at Toomey, we're able to bring you a special bonus episode of the podcast. We recorded the show in front of a live audience at the Girlboss Rally, so things might sound just a little bit different. But don't worry. You can still expect a great conversation with a trailblazing guest who's accomplished so much. And she's here and willing to share all of her secrets to success with you. Which, of course, brings me to today's guest, Aurora James, founder and creative director of Brother Valleys. If you've been listening to Girlboss Radio over the years, you might actually remember Aurora from a previous episode of the podcast. In that episode, Aurora chatted with Sophia about how she founded Brother Vellies as a way to introduce traditional African shoes to the rest of the world. Aurora's work with Brother Vellies has caught the attention of the fashion industry and led her to winning the prestigious CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. Since winning it, Aurora has opened her own showroom in Brooklyn and kept scaling her business, all the while dealing with copycat designs in a market where fast fashion looms large. Here's a bit of what Aurora had to say. And I think that in the last few years, especially, women have become incredibly thoughtful about their exchanges of power. And when I say exchanges of power, I just mean how they're spending their money. Because every time you, you know, spend your money or spend your time or like a photo or do any of those things, that's a power exchange. And you're empowering that thing. And you are helping that thing grow. I think that we as women are becoming more cognizant of that. And I think for that reason, um, people have been getting extra excited about Brother Valleys. Welcome to Girlboss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women, exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. On today's show, Aurora and I talk about what it really means to build a sustainable business and know It's not just about the products. She also lets us in on exactly how she built Brother Valleys with just $3,500 and why raising capital is a lot like dating. Here's our conversation presented in partnership with Toomey. All right, Aurora James, welcome to Girlboss Radio <laughs> Live. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thanks for being back a second time. Yeah. You're one of the few guests who's making a repeat appearance Ooh, in the show. La. Very fancy, very <laughs> special. So I think where we want to pick up is what's been going on with your incredible brand, Brother Valleys, since you last were here. Oh my gosh, so much. It's crazy because when you start a business, that's like the big leap, right? Um, But then I think like what I didn't realize and maybe what a lot of other people don't realize is like you continue jumping like the entire time. So I don't know. It's been so amazing. We just opened a store in Brooklyn. Um, I really want to open a store in LA next year. And I mean, I had my six-year mark. So it's the six-year anniversary of Brother Valleys, which is crazy. But just kind of figuring out what that next like five years is going to be um and like doing all those other things that you're supposed to start doing at some point like (laughs) self-care how is that going so far (laughs) it's good I I'm actually like one of the few people that has a little bit of a balance it's called out of office responder yeah that'll do it I feel like those auto replies in google are so creepy but also so useful oh my gosh I had my OOO on for three months this year 
It was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. (laughs) What does your out of office say? Because I'm assuming it doesn't say you're on vacation. No, it's like, thank you so much for your email. (laughs) I'm going to be checking my email sporadically. You know, if any of these other people can help you, you should probably email them. Smart. (laughs) Do you ever feel the FOMO of like, oh, but something amazing could be coming in. I miss it. No, I still I still check it. You know, but I think like what it has done actually is really forced people to not be as casual with emails and really be more succinct and also to pick up the phone. Like you can always call me. You can even text me if it's like that important, you know, Um, but there's just we're so used to sending so many emails all the time and, uh, you know, you can knock out 15 emails in one like 30 second phone call. So true. Do you, so you're a person who likes to talk on the phone. I love it. I love talking. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I feel like I've become a person and I didn't used to be this person, but like when the phone rings, I feel like a heart palpitation. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to talk to a person now. Really? Oh my gosh, not me. I'm that friend who like you haven't talked to in three months and I'll call you out of the blue and be like, hey, blah, 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 blah. And your friendships are probably stronger for it. I don't know. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. I want to talk about your friendships actually a lot because you are someone who has an amazing community inside of fashion. And I think, you know, notoriously fashion people are, you know, it's hard to build community. It's harder to connect and everyone wants something from you. But it seems like you have real friends and an amazing support system in this industry. Yeah. You know, I think it's so interesting because I always hear women talking now about how they're looking for an amazing mentor and like, where can I find a mentor and who should my mentor be and all of that jazz. And, you know, I've had great mentors along the way for sure, but like my absolute best support system has been my friend. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, wow, like you're so lucky that, you know, you have this person as a good friend and this person as a good friend and this person as a good friend. Like that must be so amazing. But it's funny, like when all of my friends and I became friends, like we are not the people that you know us to be today, you know? Like I was like an aspiring designer and like another friend of mine was like an assistant editor and another friend of mine was like working his way up as a stylist, you know, and we really all banded together then and have been supporting each other the entire time and have found success now through each other's support. So you credit your success to having that circle of friends rather than saying I collected these successful people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have any examples of the kinds of the moments where you're like, you know what, something amazing is happening to me, or whether it's you or someone else, Mm -hmm. and another, you pulled another person up with you? Huh, good question. Um, I, you know, it's funny, you really look around. I remember um, a long time ago, two women reaching out to me and saying that they were starting a brand that was made in Africa and brother Valley's is obviously produced in Africa. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. Like I'm, you know, amazing. And they were like in Ghana working on it at the time. And I was like, do you guys have like a lookbook or anything like that? And they were like, no, like how do we do it? And so 
they um i invited them over to my apartment my boyfriend at the time was a fashion photographer we shot their lookbook um in my apartment and i like found a model for them and all that jazz and helped them style it and um that brand is now much more successful. It's called Studio 189. And those two girls were Brima and Rosario Dawson. So they've like won awards now and, and all of that jazz. And, you know, I, I think it's just fantastic to be able to like reach out and help someone, you know, if you have the means. And no part of you heard them reaching out to you and thought, oh, this is going to be competitive. I don't want to help you. No, not competitive. If I ever like don't, help in a situation, it's because it's a time thing. It's never because of a competition thing. Because, you know, I always have that whole motto, like all ships rise with the tide, you know, and there really is space for all of us. And the more of us there are when it comes to sustainable fashion, for example, the more we are spreading the word about how important that is and ultimately, hopefully driving consumer demand. And all that I want at the end of the day is a more sustainable, amazing fashion industry. So the more consumers are asking for that, the more the industry will have to start putting that into place. That's a great segue into something I want to talk a lot about, which is sustainability. Can you tell us first, just to set the stage, how Brother Valley's products are produced? Yeah, so I um, started basically in South Africa with a traditional South African shoe shape called Valley. And that was, you know, the first shoe that I ever did. It's actually the original desert boot, Clark's based their design after a Valley. Um, and that was sort of just how it it was it was like the thesis statement for the brand, I guess you could say. Like I really wanted to focus on traditional artisanal skills and, and bringing those into the collection as much as possible. So now um, within Africa, we work in South Africa, Kenya, Morocco, Ethiopia, Burkina Faso, Mali. Um, I know I always forget one place. It's awful. But um, I don't know. Yeah, it's really just been about sourcing things as sustainably as possible and working with artisans at what they're good at and trying to integrate like traditional shoe shapes and, you know, spread um, awareness about what they're doing over there. And how do you source or find the artisans that you work with? For the most part, it's word of mouth. You know, even like um, with Kenya, I'm planning on going back next month and I'm just going to spend some time like looking around and asking the artisans that I already work with, like, hey, is anyone doing anything really interesting? You know, and often like my questions are really weird. Like I'm like, well, is anyone making anything interesting with like all of these like old car tires? Huh. You know, <laughs> is anyone? <laughs> yeah, we had like this amazing sandal that we made out of car tire soles for so long. That's so cool. So what's that interview process like? Or is there an interview process? Like, how does that work when you meet a cool artisan? Are you just like, this is amazing. Let's do this. Or are you like, okay, let's sit down and talk. I'm like, show me what you're doing. And then I'm like, could you make this out of that? And they're always like, no. And I'm like, really? Come on. You know? And then we like kind of try to work on it together and they sort of get into it. And then I'm like super into it. And it kind of goes from there. It's like a truly collaborative process. No, absolutely. Same with like any kind of beading pattern that we've ever done. Like I do not dictate the pattern. I'll say like, these are the colors that I want, but that's them. That's really cool. So there is like real creative ownership for these women and men um, that you're working with. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not Maasai. So I would never, ever try to tell a Maasai person exactly what kind of pattern I want. Right. It preserves the authenticity too. For sure. 
Uh, let's actually take a step back. And can you define for us what sustainable fashion is? <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good question because a lot of people will say it's a lot of different things and maybe it's not. Um, I would say for me, it's really about creating a product in a way that is good. And we need to break that down for a second because a lot of times people praise products that are less bad. Okay. So like a random shirt that was made wherever, perhaps in a sweatshop, perhaps not using sustainable materials. And that's what I would consider bad. And then you could have something that's like made in a sweatshop with like organic or repurposed materials that's less bad, okay? Because there's still a woman there that's getting exploited at the sweatshop. Then you can have something that's maybe made, you know, in America or something using some sort of new material or whatever and it's creating a good paying job and for all intents and purposes that seems like it's it's an okay thing you know what I mean and what we really need to be looking at is like how can we take the creation of a product from bad okay neutral to actually being good so are we using materials that are helpful you know is every level of that product actually creating good um, and that is like the ultimate goal. What are some of those products that you work with? That are good? That are good. Okay. So now you also get into a tricky environment. So I would say one of our best-selling um, shoes this summer is a Hirachi, which is a traditional Mexican shoe that we make in Mexico with an artisan group. The leather that we use is a byproduct from farmers there who are working with cows. So I am like a, I, I'm a food chain person. I was vegan for 10 years, but I eat meat now. And, and, and I also think that, you know, different groups of people have the right to work however they're going to work. I'm never going to tell someone in Africa to like only eat acai bowls. So, um, you know, I consider that product to be good. Like the way that we tan the leather is with like an only vegetable-based product and process. Like we don't use any chemicals and we're really teaching a traditional artisanal skill that's kind of being lost there. So, and we're working with women and they're also understanding that that sort of traditional work is valuable. So I consider that product to be good. Someone who's vegan might be like, no, no, it's awful. Like you should use like, plastic leather but we also don't have like they don't have the infrastructure to recycle plastic like that in that particular village so it'd be a disaster and ultimately you're prioritizing sort of bringing opportunity and money into these economies over yeah, absolutely to farmers versus like wherever i am getting you know pleather from wherever and talk to me a little bit about the sort of trickle-down effect of when specifically you work with women in villages and you're giving them access to capital and you're giving them access to opportunity? Well, women are amazing because right? when you give them money, they actually do great things with it. And you see that. You see the impact in the environment. Um, the UN has done a lot of studies on like what happens when you give one woman in a community money. And they say that it can impact as many as seven other people like vastly. Um, so that's really amazing. And you just, I don't know, there's something about once you show women um, that they have a value and they have a voice in communities where they don't normally feel valued and heard, 
lots of shifts happen. And ultimately, you're getting young women to also see like, oh, okay, I'm going to have an employment opportunity if I focus on my education, which a lot of young women have not seen that before. That's incredible. So you're doing a lot of different things, right? You're bringing money into these economies. You're using products that are doing good. You're using labor practices that are doing good. How do you think about, Is are there some elements of that that are more important than others? Huh. Yeah. I mean, and also like, I don't want to, you know, make the claim that everything that we have is super amazing because the other thing too is, is like, this is all a work in progress for us, you know? And I think a lot of designers are afraid to even attempt sustainability because they're afraid that they won't be perfect at it. You know, people don't want to start a business because they're afraid it, it, they won't, you know, blow it out of the water. And I think it's really about taking a first step and always working on trying to improve it, you know? Um, and that's really where we're at. And I think what's most important to me in the whole thing is how are the products making people feel on both sides, the people that are making it and the people that are wearing it. Because luxury to me is really defined by how it's made. And if you have someone who is being exploited or unhappy on the other end of it, that can't really be luxury to me. Yeah, that's a great point. So what are some of the opportunities, right? You've been talking, you talked a little bit about your, what's the next five years mm -hmm. and you're talking about, it's not all perfect. Yeah. What are the places where you want to find new solutions or you want to do better? Yeah. Uh, I think that one thing that's been so amazing for designers now is the ability to sell direct to consumers. You know, for so long, we were kind of all bogged down by like a wholesale model. And it's like, oh my gosh, you must sell to Barney's. You must sell to whoever, you know? And I was like, I just want to sell to like the girls that are on the internet that love our stuff and who care about sustainability. That's it. You know, like that's my focus. And I think continuing to focus on that for me is just, I don't know, what I'm most excited about. That's really cool. And then what about people who are inspired by what you're doing, who are like, that's an incredible brand, but are a little bit afraid to get started. What is your best advice to them? Oh my gosh. Well, fear is normal. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's always going to be terrifying. But is it more terrifying to not follow your dreams at all? So it's like, you know, what kind of fear do you want to be living with? And to me, I would rather be brave and have a fear than, um, I don't know, just not doing anything and being scared of failing status quo and regret probably, right? Yeah, regret is awful. What about other brands that exist that maybe are not asking for advice, but let's offer them some anyway? <laughs> How can other companies out there, what are the easy, not easy, but like the lower lift things that you wish most other brands would do to make that first or second step toward sustainability? Well, you know, and I think sustainability isn't just about how we make products too. It's also about how we staff our offices. And I think that inclusion is a really important part too, because, you know, if you have a fashion brand and you have no women of color in the office, you're not really going to be thinking about the best interests of women of color, you know? Um, so that's also a thing. <laughs> and it's a real thing in fashion. It feels yeah. like 
there are a lot of brands that are not thinking about women of color. Right. It's like it's really amazing for you that like you cast one black model in your ad campaign one time, like spring, summer 2019, you know, but like that doesn't count. <laughs> like it's that's cute. But you actually did that so that you don't get called out. Like that's not real inclusion. That's not real diversity. Like models are great. I love models, you know, but that's not what we're talking about. That's so surface. And that's such a fashion thing to do. Like, oh, my God, we're so diverse. Look at, like, all of these, like, different shades girl. of women that we have. You know, like, what? I don't understand. Like, didn't you guys just do, like, an African print that you, like, made in China? And you're like, what? I don't know. That's not. There's nothing. There's. It's not good. So what does that look like for you? Like, how do you, like, you obviously think about inclusion not from a place of fear of getting called out, but from yeah. a place of doing right. right. So what is your hiring process look like? How do you make sure that you're bringing in, you know, not just women who look the same, but happen to have different shades of skin, yeah. but actually different experiences, different ideas. Yeah. You know, it's funny because 90% of the people who've ever worked for me have interned for us first. And I am like very obsessed with our interns. We have seven summer interns and they go hard. Like I'll leave on like a Friday and they'll be still there. And I'm like, do you guys want pizza? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, where are you I'll leaving? Are you staying? Like, what's going on? <laughs> um, but they're very motivated, you know? And like people come to the table with these great ideas, things that I've never thought about. Some of them are like, you need to do this. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. Maybe I do, maybe I don't, you know? But it's it's just good to get diverse opinions. And I want that. I welcome that. So to me, it's that's the best way to find people. It sounds like you're not just hiring a diverse group of people, but you're also giving them the opportunity to contribute because I think that that's another problem that people have, right? Mm -hmm. I am hiring lots of different people that look different, but actually maybe only people who look a certain way or act a certain way or come from a certain place right. have the room to really feel like they can contribute. Well, I think what's really interesting too is that Brother Valley's has always been self-funded. Like I started this business with $3,500, okay? So I've only, <laughs> I've only ever kind of answered to myself. And I think with a lot of other fashion brands, it's like they, you know, have all of this like crazy VC money behind them. And so they need to stack their staff with like these crazy impressive resumes, you know? And for the most part, like... <laughs> You're not going to get a super diverse group of people when you're focused on who went to Harvard, you know? who have already had a, other opportunities. Exactly. So I think that that's been one thing. You know, a lot of people have asked me, like, why have you, like, only self-funded so far? Like, don't you want to, like, you know, do all these other things? And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? The fact that I've held on this long has meant that I've been able every single month to get closer and closer and closer to building the business that I want you know, and making the choices that I think are best. And those are not like choices that are always best for the bottom line. Like it is absolutely ridiculous to produce in so many countries in Africa. No one would do that. Who was like very financially motivated. Are you kidding me? Like, whoa, pick a worse idea, would you? But for me, you know, from my heart, that's what is important to me. And you always have to think about what your motivations are behind things. And for me, I created Brother Values because I wanted to create and sustain artisanal jobs in Africa. So when I think about what does success mean for Brother Values, it's how many artisanal jobs are we creating in Africa? 
because that was the impetus behind starting the brand. It feels so easy. And yet it's really hard because, I mean, do you think that you would ever take investment or by that rubric? Probably not, right? I mean, it's just about finding the right person. It's like dating, you know? (laughs) That's hard. (laughs) Really hard. Because it's like co-parenting. You know, this is my baby. Like, I need to make sure that that person's morals are 2,000% aligned with mine. How do you approach that conversation? Because I feel like you can have a conversation with someone and say, oh, like, do you check this box, that box, the other? Mm-hmm. And then you actually, you know, to follow your metaphor, get in bed with them. And it's like, <laughs> oh, actually, we do need like a <laughs> 15x return. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. can you start manufacturing some stuff uh, yeah. in China? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. We'll see because I'm going to do a capital raise later this year. But Good I, luck. <laughs> I know. I think for me, it's just going to be, I don't know. Yeah, it it really truly is co-parenting and you have to have faith. But, you know, I think I'd also make a fantastic single parent too. I hope you're enjoying learning about Aurora and how she's done a beautiful job of honoring her roots with her work at Brother Valley's. We'll get back to my chat with her in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to tell you a little bit about our partners at Toomey who made this episode and conversation possible. At Girlboss, we've been talking a lot about where we come from and about how our unique histories play a role in who we are and what our dreams are for the future. And all of that takes a lot of reflecting and being present, fully present in the moment. It's not always easy. There are tons of things vying for our attention constantly. There are endless to-do lists to tackle, and there's only so much time in the day. But when we are fully present, We're able to dream big. We leave room for inspiration and we're able to get where we're going because we're focused. That's why we're such big fans of Toomey. Toomey's line of luggage, briefcases, and handbags are the perfect combination of style, function, and craftsmanship. You can count on Toomey for slick designs and streamlined functionality that withstands the trends. Think of it this way. Toomey helps you live your life in an uncomplicated way so that you can get where you're going, free from frustration and irritation. To find out more about how Toomey is perfecting the journey, just go to Toomey.com. There, you'll be able to see exactly what I'm talking about. Again, that's Toomey.com. T-U-M-I.com. And now, back to my conversation with Aurora. Talk to me about the Brother Valley's consumer because I think that there's amazing, right? <laughs> there's something, it feels like something has shifted since your brand launched where the initial conversations that I heard around Brother Valley's were like, oh my gosh, the shoes, they're so cute. And they certainly are so cute. Look at your feet. <laughs> um, but it feels like people are much more so talking about the sustainability element, the sort of I am voting with my dollars and sort of making choices. Do you think spending habits have shifted meaningfully in the past handful of years? Yeah, I mean, I think that in the last few years, especially women have become incredibly thoughtful about their exchanges of power. And when I say exchanges of power, I just mean how they're spending their money. Because every time you you know, spend your money or spend your time or like a photo or do any of those things, that's a power exchange. And you're empowering that thing and you are helping that thing grow. And more and more, we need to be cognizant about what we are empowering, whether it's like 
dwell time on Instagram looking at something that, you know, makes us feel not great or if it is like, you know, making a purchase somewhere at a company that's like maybe not treating other women the best. Um, so I think that we as women are becoming more cognizant of that. And I think for that reason, um, people have been getting extra excited about Brother Valleys. I want to shift gears a little bit yeah. and talk about your recent uh, or at least since the last time you were on the show, <laughs> CFDA nomination yeah. for the Swarovski Emerging Talent Award yeah. because you were only the second black woman ever nominated for that yeah. award, yeah. which seems in some ways kind of crazy, in other ways par for the course. I mean, more crazy that no black women have ever won that award. Yeah. So that feels <laughs> like we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, we do have a lot of work to do. You know, and I think it's so interesting when you look at systems like that. Um, and, you know, when it comes to fashion, I've always really viewed it as a type of fine art. And when it comes to things like the Met Gala, you know, for me, that's where I use those moments as an opportunity to really dig into concepts and, and figure out how we can explore concepts with fashion, what we're putting on our body in different pieces. Um, and so when it comes to the CFDA awards, like I always hope that those sorts of awards really celebrate, you know, what we are doing with fashion. Um, and I think in a lot of ways they have done a good job at that. And I think in a lot of ways, yeah, the fashion industry has some growing to do. Um, anytime there's a system like that, if things are happening that you are a little bit confused about, the best thing to do is kind of try to understand how the system got into place. So looking at who's voting looking at voter participation, looking at diversity of the voters, um, and really trying to pick things apart that way and figure out how systematically, you know, you can make these things a little bit more progressive. Do you think systems like that matter as much today as they used to? Are they losing their power as they're maybe not evolving as quickly as they should? I think that things that don't evolve die. So I think that we all have to do what we can to make sure that things are evolving. If you're part of something, you want to make sure that it's evolving because otherwise, like, you will be blockbuster. <laughs> I still love Just blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> you said something really interesting when you were talking about your nomination, which was that you didn't just feel the sort of weight or the responsibility of representing your community yeah but also you felt the responsibility of representing it well mm -hmm. and I think that's so powerful how what does that look and feel like to you um it's so interesting because I'm from Canada and you know my dad was born in Ghana my mom is Inuit and Irish she was adopted at birth so in terms of my identity um it's always been really layered and it's also been very different than the traditional African-American experience um and coming to this country I've definitely had to learn a lot about that and I've also you know faced discrimination that I wasn't used to facing in Canada and I think for me you know being one of the very few black women that's in, you know, certain fashion rooms, I think that it's been really important to make sure that, you know, our message and our story is also involved and included in the conversation. You know, there's so many times where black women are revered as like sex symbols or like icons, but not really taken 
into the boardrooms for bigger, deeper conversations. Um, and so I think for me, it's really important to have my voice and, you know, the energy of Brother Valleys and the energy of like all of these amazing women of color that we work with all across the world represented, you know, and make sure that people understand that, you know, when we're talking about the fashion industry and how big it is, we're also talking about the fact that the majority of the people who are actually working on these products every single day are people of color and they're not being treated that well. So how we, you know, have these conversations from the very top to the very bottom are important because it's affecting so many lives, you know? Um, and just reminding people of that all the time. How do we do better? I think we shop better. I think we um, make our support for things more pronounced and known, you know, and like really get behind things, you know, really get behind things. Like it makes a big difference, you know, even social media, it makes a huge difference. Like I always make a point to like, you know, like things and like comment on things that like I want to win because I know that like that counts on some level and I think we lose sight of how much our vote counts and you know as we continue and go into 2020 like every vote counts but that is an everyday thing right it's not just the ballot box it's every action that you take yeah that's really powerful um how do you think about the future of your company mm. beyond some of the sort of opportunities we already talked about. Yeah. You're going to go fundraise yeah. potentially. Yeah. Um, but what are your big dreams? Oh my gosh. I definitely want to open more stores because I love creating environments and I love people being able to have physical encounters with the brand. You know, there's so much tangible about it. And even our space in Brooklyn, like there's so much amazing art in there and great energy. And it's, a, it feels like a true safe space. You know, a lot of people make the pilgrimage to that store and then really feel like they are, you know, they've arrived. And I always want it to feel like that. And it's not just about the shoes, you know. It's about this whole idea that we are kind of all in this together. And even though we might feel not heard or not seen, you know, we are there and we count and we're getting stronger and we're taking it day by day. I mean, everything you're talking about feels... Those feel like really big, noble goals, but to take it to a more surface place, mm -hmm. do you believe that to open a bricks and mortar today, you have to create something that feels like an Instagram playground? Like if it can't be photographed, it's not worth doing? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question because it is really like a part of it, you know? Um, and yeah I mean you do you do need that like you do need like these Instagrammable moments for sure in a store um, and in any space like that but I think that that's just because people want to be able to communicate that they were somewhere and that something happened you know and Instagram for a lot of people is like a living diary like there's women who've been following me on Instagram from like the beginning and they have like bared witness to my life, you know, and they'll say like, hey, I remember when you did this, like even my um, sign from the very first women's march is like on the wall at our store. 
And so to some women, like that's the thing that they want to Instagram because they remember that. They remember that moment. They were there. They saw me there. We met there or whatever, you know, so that holds a weight for them. Um, other people, it's like the shoes that like salon toward the Met Gala or like whatever. But it's like these moments that are so special that are a part of our shared history um, that really resonate with people. And that's kind of what they want to put out there. What does the sign say? Oh, my gosh. It says um, it's a Malala quote. And it says, if one man can destroy everything, why can't one girl change it? I love that quote. Yeah. So you're talking a lot about origin stories and where we all come from and sort of giving of that, which reminds me that you are hosting a really cool podcast yeah. for Girl Boss Radio soon. Tell yeah. us about it. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So um, I'm going to be hosting In Progress and I am over the moon to be able to sit down with so many of my amazing friends and really talk about how we are progressing through things, where we're at and like how hard it is. You know, there's so much surface that we're all taking in right now. You know, we're on Instagram and we're seeing everyone's highlight reels. And often that just makes you feel like crap. And I think that we kind of really need to dismantle that and start talking about like, you know, what being in progress actually feels like for real. You know, what are the pitfalls? It's like two seconds before I post a selfie with my friend, we we're actually crying to each other. You know, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we're getting through that. Let's talk about, you know, where you came from, what you had to overcome. Let's talk about when your payroll bounced. Let's talk about any of those things that like we don't get to talk about so much, but everyone is going through. And if we can sort of band together and realize that we're not alone and help each other through that, that is the best possible human experience. That's so true. It doesn't all have to be glossy and beautiful. It's not. It's glossy for two seconds. How long can you do an Instagram thing? It's like 15 seconds. Like that's max gloss time. And after that, I'm like, where's the napkin? Like, I need to get this stuff off my face. No more and gloss. how many takes it take to get that 15 seconds? <laughs> oh my gosh, so many. It's very embarrassing. I was taking a picture of my friend the other day and she was like, just hold burst and take like 10,000. And I was like, where have we gotten to? <laughs> and then call through the 10,000 pictures. Oh my gosh. Airdrop. I'm so grateful. During my conversation with Aurora at the Girl Boss Rally, we also heard from some audience members. Here are some of the questions they asked about fundraising, working in fashion, and social media. Here's our first question Sustainability is like a hot topic for a 2020 election. How do we navigate that? How do we know whose priority is in the right place? It's like, I know this is kind of a deep question, mm-hmm. but I feel like sustainability is like at your core. Yeah. Like, what do we look for? How do we know people aren't just like throwing this word around? And it's not only like candidates, it's also like other companies. It's like greenwashing. Like, yeah, yeah we're sustainable, mm-hmm. but like, no, we're just not as bad as everybody else. I think that people are always going to just be throwing words around. And that's just the nature of the beast. Um, and I think that we all kind of have to do our research to the best of our abilities. But ultimately, you know, and people hate in fashion when I say this, but like the most sustainable thing that you can do is less. You know, like buying less, using less, all of that less. And 
definitely, definitely do research on all of the candidates. Um, but also remember that ultimately, like, it kind of starts with all of us. And I don't really, like, rely on them to kind of do anything. It's like you have to still, like, show up for the marches, show up for the rallies, show up for the demonstrations, and also really pay attention to who your local candidates are because they're the ones that are going to be pushing a lot of change in your actual communities. How much do you think the marches and the rallies actually impact things? I think they do have a big impact, honestly. I really think that they do. Um, and I also think that it's really important just to put your physical body in a space sometimes for what you believe in. And, and, and that has a lot of power and weight. It impacts us too. Absolutely. All right, let's get to our next question. I was wondering how you create a healthy relationship with Instagram in your life. Because obviously it's a vehicle for sharing the story of your life and building your brands and voting for things that you believe in and commenting on things that you believe in. But how do you also shut it off? Like how do you also not get too wrapped up in it and still stay present outside of the social media landscape? Me too. I'm also wondering that. <laughs> um, no, I think for me there's definitely like – when I'm walking into something, I'm also really cognizant of like, is this a moment for Instagram or is it not? And I think that I usually err on the side of it not being. I also usually run on a delay. Like I'm not posting things totally live all the time because that's just too much. You know, it's like capture your content when you can and then take like an hour every day and actually like upload your stories then or whatever. But just really being cognizant of how completely different what we're seeing on Instagram is and real life is incredibly like important. And I think that it's easy for me to say that because, you know, I see a lot of my friends firsthand who like have huge followings and blah, blah, blah. And like those moments that are shared and those moments that are not. And, and even with myself, you know, like, so I'm a little bit more pragmatic about when I see something, I'm like, you know, I know that that's not always the case. Um, but I honestly feel like the people who limit their time on there are feeling a little bit better about themselves. And if something doesn't feel great, like unfollow for sure, you know, and try to surround yourself with the things that like inspire you to be better and not inspiring you from a place of making you feel less than inspiring you from a place that's feeling like you can be like that too. Totally. We have another question. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you. First and foremost, I find it interesting when people say that they started companies with $3,500. Uh -huh. So can you speak to us about, you know, the first purchase you made or the first, let's call it investment of that $3,500 yeah. that led to getting another $3,500 and ultimately building a brand like yours? Absolutely. Great question. So my $3,500 was basically spent on shoes. Um, and no, I mean, it's true. <laughs> so it was like, you know, how, and the flight, like my very first flight. Um, so it was like, okay, how much can I spend on shoes? How much am I going to end up spending on development? How much is it going to cost me to get the shoes where I need them to be? And then I sold our shoes at the Hester Street Fair, which is a flea market. And that costs like 65 or $75. Um, and then I sold all of those shoes. And I took that money and I bought more shoes. And I continued doing that. 
And it was that kind of evolution. And then, you know, when we started selling things, like when I when I was getting more orders than shoes that I had, I started pre-ordering. So then that helped us actually fund like the next batch of shoes. Um, and then I like continued to live with my boyfriend at the time one year after we broke up because I couldn't afford to move out. So it's like, you know, there are limitations and things that happen when you start a business with $3,500. It's not like all roses for sure. Um, but I'm happy and proud of everything. Okay. We have time for one last question. Go ahead. Uh, so my question is about how you mentioned discrimination here and you're coming from Canada. What do you mean by that? Like, have I been discriminated against? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, how not? I think even, um, when we talk about like how I'm getting ready to do this capital raise, like my accountant's like, you don't need any more information other than that. And I'm like, no, no, no. I need way more information. And he's like, no one's going to ask you that. I'm like, you've never been a black woman walking into a boardroom. We need extra receipts. And it's weird because even like I will look at like, you know, contracts that are given to like my white male colleagues and contracts that are given to me and they're very different. And it affects things. And you don't realize it at the time because everyone's really nice, everyone's really excited, blah, 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 blah. But then when you actually get down to brass tacks, you're like, wait, that's weird you know? Um, and I definitely like in a lot of very shocking ways have seen colleagues get treated very differently than me for no good reason at all. Um, and it's tough and you have to really like address it head on with, you know, whoever it's happening with and it's uncomfortable and it's painful. And in a lot of situations, like they're not really going to want to like call you again or work with you again, but you have to make that decision. And um, I think when you look at a lot of entrepreneurs, sometimes it's like you see all these things that they have, but what you don't see is like what they've had to give up in that process. And it's been a lot for sure. Can you share any specifics about the kinds of things that are different about contracts? Is it just money or it's the terms? Yeah, it's like the interest rates. Like really specific, like the really important stuff. Yeah, like the terms, the interest rates. Like really, you're like, wait, what? How? You know, like there's no reason for that. And do you have you always felt comfortable asking your, I'm assuming white male colleagues and friends for like, hey, I want to look at your contract too. Well, I think it's just like about having those conversations. And again, that goes back to like my friend group and like, you know, having this like motley crew of friends since I kind of started and us always really being honest with each other. And when something doesn't feel good, you know, to talk about that. And it's really hard to talk about things that like aren't going well, but that's what friends are for you know, and you kind of have to compare notes. And even like with women, um, you know, one of like my other great friends who like lives here in LA, she like did something and I was talking to her about it and, and we were both like, wait, what? Like, it was like, we were on totally different pages about this thing. And we were like, oh my God, we're so grateful we had this conversation, you know, because those little things like help for sure. And when we look at like the wage gap between men and women, like that has to get bridged somehow. And we need men to be our allies in that. To be truly transparent. Yeah. 
This has been incredible. Aurora, thank you so much for of joining course. us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of the family. I had so much fun talking to Aurora for this episode, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Here at Girl Boss, we love everything Aurora stands for and all of the work she's doing at Brother Valley's. That's why we're so excited that Aurora will be joining us on the Girl Boss Radio Network as the host of season two of In Progress, the podcast. We launched the podcast In Progress last year with our friends at Toomey, and we're so stoked that they've decided to help us bring it back for season two. You can expect the same focus on self-improvement, but this time around, we're going to be doing a lot more self-reflection. That is, In Progress, the podcast will focus on finding and understanding your own origin story. If you haven't subscribed to In Progress yet, be sure to do so on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't want to miss this season. Okay, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. And thanks to our partners at Toomey for helping to make this episode possible. And as always, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Girl Boss Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Every rating and review helps other listeners to discover us. And we're always so thankful to hear from you. That's it for now. Talk to you soon.